0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, That with your 2023 WWE Fastlane Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here just moments after WWE Fastlane concluded to bring you results in instant analysis fashion. We will have reaction grades and so much more to come on this special edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. There is plenty to talk about tonight, as there always seems to be following these WWE premium live events, so we are not going to waste any time getting into it. First, a reminder off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Five. so be sure to head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify leave those five-star ratings on apple take a little extra time leave a five-star written review if you do we will read it live right here on the show also don't forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast for episode drops news highlights analysis all that good stuff again on twitter at getting overcast and it really behooves you to follow us over there around pay-per-views and premium live events, because we do offer pre and post show polls that you are getting overheads, have the opportunity to vote on that we will discuss at the end of this podcast. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up, You get instant reaction audio to the major wrestling programs throughout the entire week and a news post at least once a week, all by being a subscriber, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would greatly appreciate the support. Now, because this is an instant analysis episode, it is time for the Silver King to follow our 500-episode tradition of cracking a cold one. And tonight, I have caramel bean flicker. It's going look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! From Oddside Brewing in Grand Haven, Michigan, Chris, welcome to the show. Vintage Chris Vanini, I know you do not have a cold beverage with us tonight, but I did find a way to get one that's just about 200 miles away from your, uh, I don't know if it's your hometown, but one of your favorite towns in this nation, Detroit, Michigan.
1: Yes, I went to Grand Haven right after my wedding. Uh, my wife and I went up there from East Lansing, at, where we had a wedding, up to Grand Haven, Grand Haven is awesome. Great, uh, great choice of beverage. I do not have one because I'm still on the clock because college football is still going on. Uh, I was at the Texas State Fair earlier today, eating some fried Oreos at uh, Texas Oklahoma, covering that. So it's been a long day, uh, and closing it up with wrestling. And talking about that show is a pretty good way to cap things
0: off. Sure. Well, let's be clear. We're both still on the clock, but we're fitting in a lot of really good content here Uh, in between. I will tell you real quick before we get into everything. I actually had a USC beer. I think it's called like Fight on Pale Ale or something like that from Stone Brewing. Oh, I saw that they sent it over to me. I was very excited about it. I didn't think it was appropriate to be drinking it while USC was losing to Arizona of all schools. So it's in the refrigerator and we will save it perhaps for crown jewel. Uh, but I do have that for the future. That will be part of uh, the getting over wrestling podcast. Now we have an absolute ton to discuss tonight. As always, we will be breaking down everything that happened on WWE fast lane, instant analysis, style results, reaction, and grades, both for the matches and the entire show. We will also be discussing many of the go-home moments that happened across SmackDown on Friday night, which for the first time in a long time was a extremely heavy go-home show, meaning almost every segment, except for two really, on SmackDown Friday night were directly building to WWE Fastlane. A large part of the reason for that is because the build for Fastlane was not as strong as it has been for all of these other uh, WWE premium live events, but so much happened on SmackDown that directly relates to Fastlane, that for the first time ever here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, before we get into the WWE Fastlane instant analysis, we're going to kick this show off by sliding into the main event. This! And don't worry, we are going to get through this rapidly. So Chris, LA Knight opened SmackDown. Paul Heyman immediately interrupted him, admitting that Knight will indeed be the industry's next megastar. Heyman said earning his attention comes with the bloodline needing to handle Knight. And Jimmy said LA wouldn't make it to Fastlane. John Cena even the numbers. LA challenged Jimmy one-on-one in the main event as a preview of their match. We also saw Judgment Day in the parking lot with Damian Priest angry that JD McDonough was there only for Rhea Ripley to assure him and remind him they had a plan that they discussed previously. What I thought was pretty smart about this segment was having Cena basically be the background character, the support for Knight, and that put LA over as the bigger deal by comparison. That sounds impossible alongside Cena, but that is just the start of a trend that continued not just Friday on SmackDown, but all the way through Saturday night at Fastlane. I also loved... Heyman giving Knight his flowers. That was just really cool for him to do that in the moment. And this was really just the start of what happened on Friday.
1: Yeah. As Paul Heyman was saying that I was waiting for him to say there's a megastar and it's not you, Mm -hmm. but he didn't. He's just like, yeah, it's you. So so yeah, uh, like you said, a trend that they are putting this dude over to the moon. And that was evident uh, especially on the go home smackdown.
0: So later backstage, we saw Bloodline walk into their locker room only to see Judgment Day camped out. Priest and Solo Sokoa, Dominic Mysterio, and Jimmy Uso, they stood off with Rhea Ripley telling everyone to leave so she could speak to Heyman one-on-one. Okay, interesting. Later, Ripley told Heyman to make the wise decision and allow them to be stronger together. Paul called the pitch brilliant, but obviously said he had to get it authorized. Rhea authorized it herself intimidating Paul and telling him to acknowledge her twice. Heyman cautioned that she's in the wrong locker room to say that. Ripley insisted he acknowledged her like Jay Uso did on Raw. Otherwise, Judgment Day and Bloodline would have beef, but then she eventually let him make the call. Rhea also whispered to Jimmy later and got in his ear about something. Ripley saying, acknowledge me like that, that hit like Ichiro in 2004. And bringing in Jay's promo because he did acknowledge her on Raw. Bringing that into SmackDown, that was super smart. This whole backstage segment was massively refreshing for both factions. And seeing Rhea truly finally step up over this last week as the actual leader of Judgment Day, even though they technically don't have one, that was much needed as well. I thought it was a massively intriguing development and surely something that will likely be impactful for a Survivor Series.
1: Yeah, they are positioning Rhea as the leader of Judgment Day, something that they've kind of made sure not to do before. And it was refreshing to see Judgment Day over on SmackDown talking with people they don't normally talk with. Like, it's gotten kind of really repetitive on Raw with Cody and Jay and Kevin Owens, and it's the same thing every week. Right. Throwing them over to SmackDown and getting them in the room with Paul Heyman, like, all right, like that, that's fresh, that's new. And
0: I really enjoyed it. So then we had Knight and Jimmy as the main event. Solo forced a DQ with five minutes left in the show. Cena made the save. Then all five of Judgment Day stormed down with Heyman shaking Ripley's hand while saying authorized. So Judgment Day went to attack six on two. Only for Jay Uso to run down with Jimmy immediately nervous as shit as soon as he saw his brother. The heels, for some reason, didn't attack despite still holding a six on three advantage. So Cody Rhodes ran down. His music cut off, fans kept singing. Heyman pulled Sokoa away before the brawl started with Cody and Jay hitting topes, Cena T's doing one only for Sokoa to hop inside and super kick him. Then LA took Solo out and hit his BFT on JD who also ate a Jay superkick, a five knuckle shuffle, an AA and a Crossroads. McDonough sold all of them like death, especially the Crossroads. This was a really hot Attitude Era style go home moment merging two storylines into one. And it felt to me, and this is a larger conversation we will have on Tuesday's show, but it felt like it was the impetus for something at Survivor Series. Like Judgment Day, Jimmy and Solo against Jay, Cody, Knight, and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. War games, something like that. But right here on the Go Home Show to a B-level premium live event, we got the four biggest baby faces in the entire company together. That's like Avenger shit. It was huge, it felt huge in the moment. And when you combine SmackDown with Raw, I actually believe, and this doesn't necessarily impact the show itself, but I think this was the best go-home week that WWE has delivered in a long time.
1: Yeah, my first thought was, I can't wait for Survivor Series tomorrow night at Fastlane. Oh wait, no, it's not Survivor Series, it's Fastlane. Right. So like you said, it was it was the go-home to Survivor Series, but it's not Survivor Series. And to your point about the go-homes, I think turning in the turning the SmackDown before a pay-per-view into like the old like super show where both rosters are like there because they're in town. I think that'd be a great way to kind of approach go homes like that.
0: Yeah, you're 100 percent right now. You know, in this case, they did it in a way where they were challengers for the tag team titles, Jay and Cody, which excused them for being on the show. And Judgment Day was there. Yes. because they were the tag team yes. champions, although the entirety of Judgment Day was there. But anyway, we don't want to take too much time up with everything that happened on SmackDown. I did just want to give you guys the quick main event so we could give you our takes before we get to the actual main event of this show, and that is the WWE Fastlane Instant Analysis. Now, normally we start with the main event of Fastlane and work our way down the card based on what we felt was most important. Because we just spent so much time speaking about John Cena, L.A. Knight, Cody Rhodes, and Jay Uso, let's kick off with those two matches, and then, of course, we'll hit everything else that happened on Fastlane. Let's start with what was pretty much the co-main event, John Cena and L.A. Knight against Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. During the pre-show, Paul Heyman was asked what would happen if the bloodline loses. He absolutely snapped in like hysterical fashion on Byron Saxton to the point that Heyman requested Caleb Braxton, his nemesis, For his next interview, he always insults her. He actually called her intelligent this time. Knight got a massive reaction, even compared to Cena. They chanted LA's name before the bell instead of John Cena, you know, the greatest of all time. So if that doesn't tell you how over this guy is, I don't know what else will. Cena took all of the punishment early, and I do mean all of it. He basically got his ass handed to him for 10 straight minutes before hitting a desperate attitude adjustment on Jimmy, all that was to obviously set up the molten L.A. Knight hot tag, and that shit delivered. After L.A. dominated for a bit, Sakoa caught him with a Samoan drop, only for Cena, yes, John Cena, to fly off the ropes for a crossbody onto Solo. Before Jimmy hit an Uso splash on John, Cena got Sakoa in an AA but ate a superkick. Knight box jumped to the top rope for a superplex on Jimmy. Cena hit five-knuckle shuffle, and Knight hit BFT for the win in 17 minutes. Knight shook Cena's hand after the bell but refused to let him raise his arm, instead raising Cena's arm to a bonus babyface pop. Heyman rushed to make a phone call, looking at Knight and seemingly telling Roman Reigns, we have a problem. This was the third straight PLE win by Knight, and obviously he also got the fall here, so let's not forget that. Now, the obvious booking here was not only to put Knight over, but also to create controversy within the bloodline ahead of Reigns' return on SmackDown this week. That was accomplished. I did not have any expectations coming in of a great match. We talked about that. But I was utterly shocked that Cena did this much work. I mean, he was 20 times better here than he was against Austin Theory at WrestleMania. And he wasn't even that great in this match. Granted, he was probably able to spend a little bit more time getting in ring shape here. But still, it's John Cena, right? Uh, 3.25 stars and a B. Solid match from bell to bell. Not really much else to take away from it. It was one of two matches on the show that, look, despite the prominence, despite the pops, all that, it felt like a SmackDown TV match on a premium live event.
1: I, I thought most of the matches on this card felt like TV main events, and that's not a bad thing. It's a it's a B level pay per view, but to your point, also like LA Knight got the bigger pop on the entrance uh that's one of one of my takeaways the other is, like you said Cena is where I just kept looking because I'm watching football and this at the same time and I'm looking back and forth and I'm like me too yeah Cena's still in the ring <laughs> <laughs> like I like he's been going for like 10 minutes here to start the match like good on him for doing that really putting in the work um eventually to give LA Knight just like the hottest of hot tags after all that build Uh, And then, you know, the the, the usual expected result that we got. This entire thing was about putting LA Knight as over as he can possibly be. Like, for all the talk in the past about, oh, they don't listen to the fans, blah, 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 blah. They listen to the fans on LA Knight, and now they have John Cena playing second fiddle to him. And in the match, in the buildup, and after the match, in the press conference which we need to get into here yeah we can do it at the end of the show or something like that or, or next week right but uh like Cena's just putting l.a Knight over in the press conference as well it's just non-stop everybody's doing that so it's really just wild to see after after all the after all the long conversations we've had about la night on this podcast for more than a year that he's just like in this position now and that was the goal of this match and they completely accomplished it.
0: Well, yeah, like I said, Knight has three straight PLE wins. And we talked about this on the podcast when people were frustrated that he didn't win the number one contendership for the United States title, or they were frustrated that he did this or that. We kept saying, do you guys realize he's being kept strong in all of these situations? And they, it's clear that they were going to do something with him, but they had other plans that they couldn't really interrupt. This is what they are now doing with him. And I'll tell you this. Could he have been United States champion all this time? Yeah, he could have. Would you have traded that? for being the top dog to John Cena in this match, yes, you trade that. Because LA Knight is mega over, and he's mega over because of how they're booking him in addition to the fact that, of course, they're riding the wave of fan support. So, really uh, solid stuff here. Regarding the press conference, I do think we can touch on a couple of those moments here that are really important as this instant analysis goes on. But let's save the majority of it, Chris, for our uh, WWE Fastlane second look on Tuesday's podcast, where, of course, we will also break down everything that happens on Raw coming out of WWE Fastlane. So stay tuned for more press conference takeaways on Tuesday. One point, really the only
1: point I want to make up the press conference on this one. Sure. to Talk about Cena wrestling for as much as he did in this match. He was asked in the press conference, hey, the SAG after the actor strike, they're talking like, if that gets done, are you leaving wrestling again and he said yes because i gotta get back to work for that and i can't do wrestling and acting at the same time for liability because if i get hurt then that ruins the movie or tv show that i'm doing and that's a big problem so again the fact that scene is doing all of this wrestling right now knowing that he'll he's gonna go back to acting pretty soon is he is still taking a risk by being here and it's a credit to him for for doing that and everybody making sure he's you know, being safe out there.
0: The key to what Cena said was that he's literally, they were in the middle of taping a new project and they had to stop. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that gets greenlit again, he has to go right back because they need to make up for all the lost time. That was the key to like him saying, I need to go back immediately once that happens. Right, let's move on to yeah. the other match that we kind of previewed uh, through that special main event segment, the tag team championship, the undisputed tag team championship on the line, Judgment Day defending against Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso. This opened Fastlane. It took 15 minutes from the start of Fastlane for the bell to ring, which was immensely frustrating for yours truly as a viewer. Jay did the Rock's open hand sequence but ate a bell clap and a flatliner from Damian Priest before escaping a razor's edge with a tope suicida. Balor broke the fall after an Uso splash but ate a Cody cutter before Jay hit a Roman Reigns style spear off the ropes. Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio ran down as Jay went for a second splash, with Rhea seemingly flirting with him uh, as a long distraction. Priest hit a top rope hurra with Balor blind-tagging for a coup de grace with a Cody fall break. Priest sold an injured knee. JD McDonough popped up and ate a superkick. Balor kicked out of a cover, sending Jay into the ropes for a briefcase shot from Ripley, but he actually kicked out of the fall. Cody got choke slammed on the apron, but McDonough accidentally took out Priest's knee with the briefcase, trying to hit Rhodes with it on the announce table, Cody then hit Priest with Crossroads on the table before Jay hit a Topic on Hero on Balor and McDonough. Back inside, Jay and Cody combined for a 1D-style Cody cutter, maybe a Cody, we can call that. Then Cody hit Crossroads on Balor to win the tag team titles in 21 minutes. Well, Chris, holy shit, okay? Because suffice to say, neither of us had that. The match was super entertaining with the crowd playing a more significant factor than maybe the wrestling itself. There were a bunch of formulaic parts, particularly the finish with all the distractions and interferences, but I'm at 3.75 stars B plus adding in the execution of the title change, the awesome combined finisher and the swerving of expectations, uh, all of that adding to the match quality. What a legitimately shocking result, though. I mean, we laid it out on the Ultimate Preview. It seemed immensely unlikely that Cody's first WWE title in his return would be the tag team straps and even more unlikely that Jay would leave a tag team with Jimmy to go solo on Raw only to take the straps with Cody. (laughs) We have a trust in this creative team, right? That it's all going to make sense because every time we do question stuff, it generally seems to make sense a week, two weeks, a month down the line, but it's still odd. Also, Chris, McDonough being the catalyst for the loss, that negates all the recent success he had with Judgment Day. It also reignites the possibility for a split when it seemed like part of the story had passed, that part of the story, and he was on his way to gaining membership. We did see something later backstage. McDonough wasn't even mentioned, so maybe they bring that up on Raw, but in terms of fast lane they seem to kind of let that go. I'll let you get in here on the match, the result, the the surprise of it all and then I do have some other points to talk about before we move on to the next match.
1: This match had no business being as going as hard as it did. Yeah. My god. What? <laughs> I I give this about 4 stars. Way longer, more intricate title change like type of stuff I didn't expect. I thought this would be like kind of like the Cena LA Night match. Uh, or the other tag match, I guess. But we we both had the heels winning on, on this one mm-hmm. um, because just didn't expect Cody to be tag team champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I liked the video package for this. Uh, perhaps that should have been the tell. Like, it, it, it got a yeah. long, good video package about Jey Uso and everything. And that might have been the clue that this was going to be a really intricate match with a title change at the end. It, it kind of, in hindsight, made sense um cole mentioned the bullet club at the beginning saying that uh, finn Balor was the first leader of the bullet club and cody was a later leader of it and called it Corey the bullet club. made a
0: joke quote quote unquote bullet club not the club you know not anything yes. else bullet club he said twice yeah
1: yes said bullet club and then Corey graves says uh something about cole getting twitter points for that mm-hmm. which is very funny damian priest does not need to be doing a hurricane Rana from the top rope for the love of God. <laughs> I
0: know, I know,
1: I know, I know. He like kayfabe got hurt on it, but like Jesus, yeah, could actually get hurt on that. You're a big man. Don't we? Don't need to. Don't do, need it. Do not do that. Yeah. Um. And uh. But finish was hot. Everything was great. And one of my thoughts coming out of the match was, huh. Maybe this means, I guess this means Damian Priest is going to cash in then. Because usually when you lose earlier in the show, you cash in later. Classic move. And that was one of my thoughts mm-hmm. uh, when we
0: got the one, two, three. Definitely one of my thoughts as well. Let's put a 30-second timeout on that part of it. We'll get back to that in a moment. couple points coming out of the match. First, let's not forget Cody and Jay now have a ticket to appear on both shows because they've won these titles. So you're talking potentially... Cody and Jay versus Jimmy and Solo, that is a possible match. It's an avenue to get Jay and Jimmy together for something, maybe Cody and Solo individually. Uh, There's also, obviously, that gets Cody in front of Roman Reigns, potentially. That is all now possible because of this title change. I didn't want to bypass that point. Second, I'm not sure why it was necessary to put the North American title back on Dominic if Judgment Day was going to lose the tag team titles anyway. It seemed like they did that because they wanted everyone in Judgment Day to have the titles. But again, we'll see what happens now coming out of this. And then third, I was curious, does this set up a potential scenario? Let's make believe Cody and Jay only use it as a SmackDown pass for a short period of time, or maybe not at all. But they are ultra white meat baby faces, Cody in particular. Jay is seeking retribution for his heel antics. Could they now be like magnanimous And allow these titles to be split. Perhaps even give up the SmackDown titles back to the blue brand as trade compensation for Jay. Don't forget that's still lingering out there. So that could work as Hmm. well. So these are all little thoughts I had in addition to Priest and the Money in the Bank briefcase coming out of the match. Your
1: point about trade compensation is very interesting. Because I, I think that is more likely. I do not think they're going to give one of them up, especially as we've had new, ch- especially as we created the World Heavyweight Championship. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I think what's more likely is we merge those belts and we create a new tag belt, just like we've done with the other ones. Because remember, we That's don't have all do. women's champion anymore. Right. You know, so I, I don't see him giving a, get up. That is intriguing about them. Uh, about them being directed to lose it, though. I I still I I have enjoyed, you know, having some of these people show up on both shows and the tag team belts being kind of the way to do it. Mm -hmm. I just think it still hampers the tag team division when you've got main event single stars holding the belts. Absolutely. Yes. Um, It's holding the division back when they're your only tag team belts.
0: So we will see. It's okay to do that if you have a weak tag team division. WWE's tag team division right now is stronger than it has been in a long time, both in terms of number of teams and quality of teams. So these belts do need to be split. At a minimum, there has to be some type of decision made. Like, you know, let's not forget, Cody Rhodes was the one who retired that really shitty Intercontinental Championship and brought back the classic, you know, back in the day. At a minimum, he should be the impetus for these to be merged into an undisputed championship, even if they don't bring in another tag team title. But I hope that they do. I hope they merge these into the WWE Tag Team Championships and then of course create a new set for SmackDown. But you're right, it makes more sense to do that than for them to literally just like take it off their shoulders and give it to SmackDown, that would be bad. Um, But saying, hey, you know what? We'll make these one title, you guys can go create your other, that to me makes the most sense, I agree with you. So later backstage to talk about what you mentioned, Priest was still badly hobbling with Balor and Dominic convincing him not to make a mistake by attempting to cash in the money in the bank briefcase. Priest insisted that he wanted to leave with the championship out of Indianapolis. He started walking out of the locker room until Ripley stopped him and convinced him to be smarter because he's been deliberate and intelligent this whole time with the briefcase and he shouldn't go back on any of that now. I thought it was really smart to address this given the last man standing stipulation. As we discussed on the Ultimate Preview and really the week before that, I think, when that match was announced, the best case scenario for a cash-in attempt is at the end of a last man standing match when the booking for such a match requires both competitors to basically be unable to stand for a 10 count until one of them barely gets to their feet at the end. It would have looked really stupid for Priest to not cash in if he was healthy. That was another good reason for the knee injury but even more so for them to not address it on the show. Did they give away the factor of a potential surprise where you're waiting for it to possibly happen at the end? Maybe, but they're also heels. So when Rollins and Nakamura finished their match, which we'll talk about in a moment, I was still anticipating, hey, maybe Damian Priest comes out and cashes in. I didn't think it was necessarily over when the winner of that match celebrated. I, I, a part of me did think he
1: could still come out, but I thought there was no way he was going to cash in and win because if you're going to do that, you want that to be a surprise the way it almost always
0: is correct. You don't Uh, prelude it earlier. Right.
1: Yeah. So I was perfect. I was very, I was glad that they addressed it to say, nah, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. do it because I thought, all right, he's not going to do it. Cause it's like I said, it's the first thing we're thinking after the tag team match, they know we're all thinking it. And so to address it was good. So then I wasn't let down when it didn't happen at the end.
0: And WWE has historically done things like that. So many times, like Becky Lynch, I forget what, I forgot what it was did she lose a smackdown women's she, championship she, match she, she
1: lost she lost to Asuka at the Royal Rumble that she later won
0: and then entered and, and won and that's happened so many different times someone's lost something that uh, uh, Austin Theory lost I think United States Championship then entered the money in the bank match and won money in the bank like it happens so often yeah. in WWE and it's trite and they didn't do it here and not only did they not do it they told us they weren't going to do it but let's not forget the fact that Judgment Day now does not have the tag team titles it does open up Priest and make a cash-in far more likely than it otherwise was as he was still a tag team champion. They weren't gonna, gonna strap him up with both. Three titles, really, at the same time. Three titles, you know, including the briefcase as a fourth thing that he could lord over people. They weren't gonna do that. So now at least the door is open, where previously, for these couple of months, it was not. Uh, now, we did say we're not gonna talk a lot about the press conference, but Chris, did you get an opportunity to watch Jay Uso and Cody Rhodes at this press
1: conference? I recommend everybody go back and watch it. It was the most entertaining press conference we've (laughs) had in the history of these pro wrestling press conferences after pay-per-views. I, I, we can't (laughs) say for sure. No, I can. not I can. I will say was drunk. Uh,
0: Yeah, he was drunk.
1: He was on, he was, something was going on there. And because Cody made a joke about how they had, had a something on the bump beforehand or something like that. Um, so they they had a little something and Jay was, it felt like two guys just hanging out and just it like did. talking and Cody's constantly laughing and trying not to laugh.
0: And it was hilarious. You know what it felt like? And I know you've probably been in these situations cause I have, you go to see athletes after a game, not so much in college, but more pro you, you go to see them after a game and they're already relaxed, you know, one way or another. And they're giving you the interview and they're shooting the shit with you. And it's just a relaxed, Nice setting. It felt like it was that, except for this was a press conference on live television where they should not have been in that type of situation. Cody walks out and he goes, you know, Jay Jay's like having a blast as soon as he walks out. And Cody comes out and he's like, he's like, just so you guys know, we shared some libations after our championship win. Now, whether that is true or not for the term, quote unquote, libations uh, remains to be seen. Jay certainly could have been on something um, that was, you know, not liquid based. Very possible. Uh but let's just say it was liquid based. He was definitely tipsy at a minimum. He was unable to keep the titles on his shoulders. Cody was laughing his ass off the entire time. <laughs> it was simultaneously like really heartwarming cuz it was so good-natured and happy. It was also an indication, Chris, that Jay will never be allowed to do one of these ever again. Well, but it seemed like thing. but but again, it seemed like they were so jovial and happy that it certainly wasn't negative, and no one was criticizing him. But at the same point, the guy was gone. I mean, let's just be honest. But it went on for so long; like I couldn't <laughs> I believe they would have cut it off if it was bad. Plug, though I know, yeah, yeah.
1: To your point, to your point. Like, oh, they won't let Jay do this again. I think they let him keep going and going and going in the moment, which was was very. Funny. The funniest part was when someone points out to Cody, "Hey, you last won tag team gold nine years ago as Stardust." And Jay jumps in like, do you, were you even like around for the, what are you like 21? Like (laughs) just like could not believe. He was astonished. Supposedly young. This guy was, he was astonished at triple H. This person was not, was much older than 21, but it's just like, it was so real. It was like totally real yet. Also in character. Like it was just like a, it's, it's almost like all those, like, um, you know, any like a behind the scenes clip or something like that. And you want to see people really in their element. Yeah, it was like that. But they were also still kind of doing the character, too. And it was Cody trying to keep things on track and covering his mouth, trying not to laugh. It was a heck of a time. We, we I just go just go in to watch the whole thing. It's probably up on the YouTube page. It is. Uh, yeah. Really fun.
0: Stuff. You know what it told me? I want to hang out with Jey Uso after a show. That's what it told yeah. me more than anything else. Uh, yeah. I should also note because because Jay did note it and it's important This is probably the first ever Inouye family, Rhodes family combined championship in history. Like two legendary families coming together here. It meant a lot to Jay. Like it was visible on his face. He could, he almost couldn't believe that he was champions with Cody and how special it was. I'll also note very rare that something like this happens, but Jay now has more tag team championships than Jimmy. He is 10 to jimmy's eight which is yep. wild uh so that's a little fun fact as well but let's we have a lot more to talk about who, who wait wait who, yeah. who, who else did jay win with he just won two titles oh i guess he gets two tickets. he gets two reigns does this count as two reigns it does yes absolutely i don't think it it does it's they're, they're ongoing yeah absolutely yeah, yeah that's how it goes All right, let's move to the actual main event of WWE Fastlane. By far the latest in the history of this podcast it's taken us to get to the main event of a pay-per-view or premium live event. Seth Rollins against Shinsuke Nakamura, last man standing. On SmackDown, Priest was shown watching a video package for the match, holding the briefcase, which was the first tease that we've gotten during this feud that that was possible. Corey Graves also recited a famous line that was also used in a notable CM Punk promo, which is like the third tease that he's done of Punk during something involving Rollins. We tweeted it so you could see it. There was no other significant build, though, uh, because this is a Raw feud and we're talking about SmackDown, but stay tuned on that Punk thing because I have something else to talk about later. So this was the rightful main event. Weapons came out quick. Nakamura grabbed nunchucks and choked Rollins with them at one point. Seth dodged a Kinshasa with Nakamura flying into an upturned table and eating a stomp for an eight count. For some reason, Rollins wasn't waiting to hit another stomp when he got to his feet, but I digress. Uh, Seth drilled Shinsuke with a ladder, set up next to the announce table. Nakamura brought back the low blow and he uh, pushed Rollins off like a set of stairs in the crowd after hitting the low blow backwards into a platform for a 9.5. Rollins countered Kinshasa with a super kick and a pedigree for a 9.5 back in the ring. Nakamura put Rollins on a table and jumped off the second rope outside for a double knees to the chest, somehow perfectly splitting the table down the middle, almost as if it was planned. Rollins climbed the ladder a second time with Michael Cole screaming for him to stop because he was in so much pain. Shinsuke met him at the top and sprayed what must have been a double capsule of red mist in his face, pushing him down off the ladder through the announced table below for a 9.5 count. Nakamura also hit him with a side slam into an open chair and then Kinshasa threw a prop table. He posed on the ropes only for Rollins to slide underneath the bottom rope and land on his feet to stop the count. Seth countered Shinsuke on top of a road case in the crowd. He hit a pedigree and then he hit a stomp. Then he took him off the road case with a falcon arrow through two tables. Nakamura stumbled, ultimately collapsed as Rollins stood for the title retention in 28 minutes. This was a hell of a last man standing match, even despite it being a stipulation that all of you know I do not enjoy. And yes, I still would have preferred a different match because here, Just like in so many other situations, the stipulation dragged out what otherwise would have been an even better match with tremendous work from both guys if it was no DQ or something like that. There's no question that Rollins was outstanding here. Not just the wrestling, the selling. Throughout this entire match, he was great. Nakamura was fantastic. Shinsuke looked incredible in defeat. That spot with the red mist, if he had done like a more impactful move after it, Easily could have ended the match. Then the Kinshasa through the table certainly could have ended it. I thought it was smart the way they followed that up because there was no way Seth could stand coming out of that. It would would have been absolutely ridiculous. But by sliding under the rope and his feet just happened to touching the ground with his hands on the canvas, he technically stood up and didn't take the fall and didn't lose the title. Great spot. I love the way that was executed. As we said on the Ultimate Preview, Nakamura winning, Would have been incredible. It felt like the perfect opportunity to give him the title. Just like it felt like the perfect opportunity to give Finn Balor the title a couple shows ago. But even in a loss, Shinsuke, he helped legitimize the World Heavyweight Championship even further and he helped make Rollins look like a great champion. You cannot be mad at Seth retaining here and be pointing out all the back damage he suffered. And then be totally cool, just as an example, with like MJF undergoing all that neck trauma, yet overcoming Samoa Joe. It's the exact same concept. I enjoyed this despite it not ending with the result I wanted. So I just, you can't be mad at that. I'm going to sit here happy that we're finally getting to see the Shinsuke Nakamura we have always wanted to see in WWE. He's officially doing the best work of his WWE career, and we're like, what, six years, seven years, however long, after his NXT run, which we thought was the best work of his career. So even in defeat, I loved Nakamura. This was easily the match of the night. 4.25 stars and an A. It, it was really good.
1: Uh, not my match of the night. I give the opening tag match my match of the night. Um, but you're, I think my biggest thought on this was I, I felt like the stipulation hurt the match. If it had been no DQ, I I, I think it would have been more dramatic Mm -hmm. because both of us never felt like Seth was going to lose coming in, especially because of how Raw went. But also Michael Cole was way overselling these totally like possibilities like. It's like the refs at like the two count, and he's like Nakamura is gonna win the championship. Nakamura's won the championship. Like, oh well, come on, like you're. It's way too, way too much overselling that to which I don't believe it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. when these big moments are supposed to happen. So I, I thought that the match lacked some drama for me because of that, but it was really good work, really intense back and forth. Nakamura is fantastic. Love him in this role. Um, And then the only other thing I thought, I don't know why I never thought of this before. And you may know the answer. Mm -hmm. It's about last man standing. Are you not allowed to touch them, like to keep them down? Correct. Like, could could you, could you, you couldn't technically like pin somebody for 10 seconds, so to
0: speak. No, what you can do, what you can do is bury them under like objects and then like put pressure on those objects. But you cannot have direct contact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. or or a forklift like at uh, right. the halftime was it the halftime halftime heat fight. so i i just kept one yeah. cuz because like Nakamura was delivering some massive blows to Seth here i just kept thinking like just lay a table across him and lay it down or something like that yeah. just just like the nature of the 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 stipulation just because again we don't like the stipulation this is why i think this would have been a lot better if it was just simply a no dq mm-hmm. but you know I get why they did it it was part of the story still a r- really good enjoyable match
0: if you're doing a back injury story that's why I mean we knew this was last man standing well before it was announced not because we had any inside information but when you do a back injury story you know the, yes. the whole the most difficult part is standing when you have a back injury so doing a last man standing match needs to be the stipulation it makes all the sense in the world uh just to further your point though uh when Roman reigns beat Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam last year. Uh, They stacked all the table shit. Reigns stood on top of the table. Not that he needed to, but he did it anyway just to keep him down. So you can do that, but once you touch, it breaks it just like anything else in wrestling. Like the referee keeps you away for a reason, you know, same thing. Um, Now, look, let me just follow up on this. People angry that Nakamura lost. And I saw a lot of it on social media. I don't know what to tell you. Like you had to expect it. Seth is a baby face. This is how baby faces get booked. No matter the company. Fans wanted Rollins. Also it's fast lane. It it's, it's fast lane.
1: It's a title change is not. In happening.
0: Indianapolis. You know, it's not even like in Chicago or something like that. Uh, fans wanted, wanted him. Well, I have more to say on Indianapolis later. We'll get to Indianapolis. Fans wanted Rollins to be a world champion after years, let's not forget, without the title. So WWE straps him up to a brand new World Heavyweight Championship. He is the inaugural champion. His reign is only at 134 days. He's super over. It's not even half a year yet. They're trying to establish the title. They're trying to reestablish Rollins. Nakamura and Finn Balor are great. I would have preferred, as I've said on the show, either of them to win the title over the last couple of months. The Balor situation was ready-made. That was far more offensive to me than Nakamura here. But Rollins is not Charlotte Flair in this situation. He's doing great with the title. WWE is getting behind him. He's one of their top dogs. He spent years away from the world title picture. My biggest frustration is every time people scream and cry about Rollins not getting pushed and taking losses and all this, then he gets pushed and everyone turns on him. It happens every single time. It was very similar, rest in peace, to Bray Wyatt. People would clamor for Bray Wyatt to come back. Oh my God, this is so awesome. And then he comes back and he doesn't do the character exactly the way you want. And it's, oh, this Bray Wyatt stuff is getting so boring. It's so repetitive. Like, you, you know what it is before the guy comes back. It's the same thing every single time. You know what Rollins is, babyface champion. Um, he's doing a different character. I think Rollins' character, because you've criticized this, Chris, Rollins' character was improved by this feud. Nakamura was reborn by this feud. Did Shinsuke win the title? No. Did both guys benefit? Absolutely, effing yes.
1: It's a credit to WWE and to Seth Rollins that he has had two consecutive feuds where we felt like and wanted perhaps the other guy to win the title. You know, that means you're building good world champ, world heavyweight championship feuds. Yes, they're not going to happen every time, but like. We wanted we wanted Finn Balor to win. Finn Balor had a really good story and a really good reason to win. Did not win all oh, they blew it. They blew it. They blew it. Nakamura comes up. Oh, he's got a really good story going on. And here's a reason for him to win. It doesn't happen. Like, I think, you know, you can trust what they're going to do with Seth and whoever he fights at this point, just because of that. Between the two, we both feel that Finn Balor should have won the title at SummerSlam. Absolutely you know, not not Nakamura here. Seven years. It wasn't going to was be perfect. Finn. Yeah. Yes. When it wasn't going to be Finn, it wasn't going to be Nakamura. I, I, to, to your point, I do think Nakamura is very much elevated by this. Triple H said it in the press conference. He's like, this is the, this is the Nakamura I always wanted. He literally said that. And so he did that popped me. He's not going anywhere, you know? And you know, I asked, you know, after summertime, I asked triple H, what do you do now with Finn Balor when he co- reaches this point and comes up short? And he kind of kayfabe me in the answer. But not long after that, Finn Balor won the tag team championships. So, like, I don't think Nakamura is going away after this. Like, no, I I think he'll whether or not this is the end of the story or not, like he has gotten to a point now where the next thing he does is going to feel like a big deal. And that's ultimately a
0: good thing. Absolutely. And, you know, it would be a great situation for him to, like, slide into the intercontinental championship picture. Unfortunately, the champion is a mega heel right now in Gunther. But if that title does change, like we expect it is going to sooner than later, Nakamura could easily be like the top heel challenger who takes it off of a babyface champion and maybe even goes into WrestleMania as the intercontinental champion. I could 100% seeing that be the case. So we will see what happens. I should note as Fastlane ended, because this was the main event, Corey Graves dropped another CM Punk reference. And yes, this is an original Dusty Rhodes line, but he said Rollins was riding on the edge of a lightning bolt. Punk posted that on social media around WrestleMania week this year. Just worth mentioning, we will talk more about that on Tuesday's WWE show. Let's move to the WWE Women's Championship. EO Sky defending against Charlotte Flair and Asuka. On SmackDown, Damage Control fought Charlotte and Asuka. Bayley took a bullet for EO early. EO and Asuka did good work together. Uh, Charlotte got the hot tag and hit the stupid cartwheel lariat. EO based uh, Tower of Doom. EO then broke a fall with a Meteora on Flair. Charlotte accidentally booted Asuka, but Flair booted her into EO and then hit natural selection for the win in 13 minutes. Straight up, Charlotte getting the win here on Friday gave me significant hope, Chris, that we would not see a title change Saturday just based on WWE's go-home booking history. The match was strong on Friday overall. No surprise that Bailey took the L. That's her spot right now. She wasn't in the match. But I will tell you this. I thought it Friday, and I definitely thought it again Saturday night. Bailey is badly in need of a push.
1: Yes. Um, I've also wondered if she's a bit banged up or her. Because remember, a couple weeks ago or a month or so ago, she got hurt on a house show, I think. Um, yes. So, like, she's been around. I just, I, I wonder just kind of how she is and if that plays any role into that. Um, It's been a thing basically since EO won that Bailey is kind of outshining her, at least taking up a lot of the attention, very much like Christian and Luchasaurus. This match only happened because Bailey got EO into the mess in the first place. So it does feel like we're getting to a point where perhaps EO breaks away from Bailey, perhaps turns face in the process when that happens uh, because of what Bailey keeps kind of doing to her. But you know, then things, then, then, then Saturday happened and we'll talk about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and get right into that. So during the kickoff show, EO told Bailey and Dakota Kai that she had her own plan and wanted to go to the ring by herself. Asuka misted Charlotte just seconds into the match with Flair selling it by crying, wiping her eyes with trainers. That was an excuse for a great Asuka EO sequence ended by Flair booting Asuka and she got booed for that because fans were loving EO and Asuka, you know, the two best wrestlers in the match. Mm -hmm. Uh, EO and Asuka each hit each other um, with great missile dropkicks. Asuka pulled EO off the ropes with an avalanche German suplex. Charlotte then hit her stupid cartwheel double lariat this time. I hate that move if you can't tell. I'm pretty sure Flair messed up by interrupting what was supposed to be a sequence of pinning combinations between EO and Asuka. Asuka then threw EO into Charlotte via Tope Suicida outside. Then EO hit nothing at all, missed on a springboard moonsault outside. So Flair hit her moonsault outside, accidentally connecting for the first time in years. I would never have guessed, I would have put a hundred to one odds on EO missing a moonsault and Charlotte hitting a moonsault. Two things that never happened. Uh, Asuka powerbombed Charlotte with EO on Flair's shoulders off the ropes for a sick avalanche, Samoan drop combo spot. Charlotte escaped a Boston crab and put in the figure four on Asuka. Only to eat a meteora from Eo. Asuka then took Eo out of Charlotte's grasp with a codebreaker that missed, only to eat a spear in a false finish. Bailey ran down to revive Eo, who told her to leave, and ate a big boot from Charlotte. Asuka caught her with a flying codebreaker that again missed. Still, Flair got her in the figure eight. Bailey distracted the referee to prevent him from seeing Asuka tapping out. And Eo nailed Charlotte, who was crouched, you know, in that half circle upside down, however, whatever you want to call that with over-the-moonsault to retain the title in 17 minutes. Io paused for a second after the bell, but then gave Bailey a big hug, and they celebrated together. So Io retaining was great, and her pinning Charlotte was obviously the best possible result. However, this creates the exact scenario I feared when discussing this a few weeks ago. Io retaining, but Charlotte having an excuse to challenge for the title one-on-one at Crown Jewel where a win for Charlotte would be far more likely than it otherwise would have been at Fastlane. The excuse here being that she tapped out Asuka, which was also frustrating because Charlotte always beats Asuka, except for one time. I don't want to put the cart before the horse and be sour when the match hasn't even been booked yet. I just feel the dread of this happening already. Anyway, in terms of what we got, a damn good match. It struggled to reach the ranks of great because there were a bunch of missed spots that kind of... Took you out of the moment. It reminded you, like, oh, yeah, they missed that, they missed that, whatever. If everything was executed expertly, you're talking about probably 4.25 stars with the distraction finish. Really, as I've maintained for weeks, this should have been EO and Asuka in a rematch. And it felt like EO, Asuka, with Charlotte just constantly interrupting the flow. They were by far the best part of this, EO and Asuka. I'm at four stars and an A minus, but it was damn entertaining. Great to see EO come out on top. It would have been even better if she did win clean without Bailey. Really good match. Charlotte has
1: kind of been clunky for a while now, just in terms of her wrestling. Not sure what it is, if it's chemistry or whatever. But she is, like you said, hitting the moonsault on people. And that's this is the second time in the last couple of pay-per-views that it happened. I don't know if it was SummerSlam or, or the the next one, but Charlotte is now hitting people with the moonsault, which is a big step for her. And my only other real thought on this was they did the SummerSlam spot. Remember, Bianca did the, I think it was Bianca, right? Did the moonsault onto Charlotte for the figure eight. And uh, we thought that was going to be the mm-hmm. closing segment. And it wasn't, it was a, it was a breakout or a kickout. I don't remember exactly what happened. And we said, that should have been the spot that ended the match. Absolutely. Yeah. Before EO came in, before EO came in and cashed in. Here they did it. It was the it was the end of the match. And and I loved it. It's a great spot. So I'm mm-hmm. really glad they went back to it and it and it ended a spot with, with EO, because that's her big move. So uh really good stuff. We'll talk more about Charlotte and whatever's next for her, you know, and future pods. It does seem like, yeah, she's probably gonna get the one-on-one match for Crown Jewel. I don't think that makes any I don't think that makes it more or less likely she loses. I think it's just they want her on crown jewel. You know, that's just well, let know.
0: me put it this way. It's not su- it's not surprising. Let me put it this way. If they put EO over Asuka, sorry. If they put EO over Charlotte clean, then that is how you make EO. So if they do that match, there is a huge possibility for EO to get over huge by them doing that. It's just if I see that match on a card. I I find it really difficult to believe Flair's not walking out with the title, and another sure. and another Any, and another yeah, younger anytime. talented wrestler gets sacrificed for her record reigns.
1: Perfectly uh, perfectly fine to understand that. I just think this is this was more a situation of set it up to get Charlotte on Crown Jewel as opposed to set it up for Charlotte to win. She can win, but I don't necessarily think this is meant to set up her win. It's just meant to set up for her to be on Crown Jewel. I hope
0: you are 100% right about that. And we have, like you said, we have plenty of time to discuss that both this coming Tuesday on our next WWE show and probably even more so two Tuesdays from now once we get through uh, SmackDown and see what they do end up starting to build for Crown Jewel. Uh, Coming out of this match, Chris, it felt to me like damage control should really turn babyface. Like as an entire faction, the fans already love EO. Bailey is really easy to like, especially when she gets EO's back and helps her. And Dakota Kai is not a certified heel or anything like that. It just seems like you make Flair the heel, you make them the baby faces, and EO could grow substantially. And then coming out of it, you have Bailey as a potential challenger for whenever there's a heel champion again. That's what I would do. I don't know if you get the same feeling as me, but I did want to bring it up.
1: Yeah. I I think people want to cheer EO um, and eventually some sort of Bailey situation might be the way to do that. And then you can kind of change more dynamics around everybody else.
0: I just think there's a fondness for Bailey as a baby face and she hasn't been cheered in so long because the hugger gimmick failed as one would expect on the main roster. They turned her heel. She's never been baby face since.
1: I've thought about that. She hasn't been baby face since pre pandemic. And, but she's just, There's been nothing that she's done to make it seem like she might switch back. She's helping EO. There's, there's, well, she's costing EO. She's putting EO in, sort of. She's putting EO in matches she doesn't want to be in. Mm -hmm. She's trying to take a lot of the credit for EO winning. She's never like, Bailey's never like getting beaten down or or, or, or these other things or something goes wrong for her. It's It's always, there's been no hint of going back to babyface. And people are really into EO right now. So it's just naturally that that would happen. But you're right. I actually was thinking that like the other day. It's like, man, Bailey's been a heel forever after being like the whitest of white meat baby faces. And I just, I wonder if they're ever going to go back to
0: that. How about I tell you this? Bailey has been heel for exactly four years. She turned heel October 11th, 2019. It is, as we tape this, October 8th, 2023. So four straight years of being a heel. And- Fans want to cheer her. They like her. And by the way, we're not going to talk too much about the press conference, but Triple H put her over as possibly the MVP of the women's division. That is not a bad take on his part. So respect for Bayley. Uh, Would love to see more from her coming up. This is a good point in the show, Chris, to note that Jade Cargill arrived at WWE Fastlane during the kickoff show wearing basically nothing. (laughs) For some reason, she walked out of an SUV in full gear, like she was ready to fight. Uh, Triple H met her, they shook hands, and that was it. They replayed it before the women's title match on Fastlane, the main card, but she never came out. She never got involved in anything. She wasn't at the press conference after the show. I thought maybe it was a way to pull people away from potentially watching AEW Collision because it was on at the same time, but clearly they think a lot about her Michael Cole called her one of the biggest free agent signings in history, which is obviously hyperbolic, but nevertheless, she is a huge free agent signing. And then Triple H in that press conference, he said, Jade will debut when she's ready to blow the roof off, and WWE does not wanna put her in a spot that she's not ready for, which is, to me, pointed language for what AEW did because she was not ready for the push that AEW gave her. She, he said, quote, this is a different system, this is a different level of everything. What doesn't exist elsewhere exists here. That opportunity for her to get to a different level is the opportunity that exists there is what he was saying. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting from Triple H. Great to see Jade. She looked amazing. Um, but I thought once she walked in, we would see her at some other point and we never did. I thought maybe like Io would bump into her backstage or Charlotte would bump into her. Like you he would do something, but we never saw her again.
1: Yeah, let's give a... Uh Uh, a a worthy hey now drop there for Jay Cargill.
0: Look good, but she's got me saying hey now. Is it that or is it this? I need some meat. (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be that one more, but go ahead.
1: (laughs) Okay, uh, yeah. I like at first, like I, I laughed that she walked out like in her ring gear, basically doing that, but then you know, it's just she looks incredible, and yeah, they obviously want to highlight that any chance they get. Like you, I remain very confused at um what the plan is. Uh you know, you you do the limo shots and someone comes in and then they're not on the show again. That's unusual. they hyped her up as a big deal. I just wonder, like I you know, you and I talked about not debuting her for a while, like letting her get a lot of practice under her, you know, under yeah. her legs, so to That's speak. That's the right move. If if, if you are debuting her and talking, her, calling her like the most amazing thing in the world. She has to be that when she starts and we know she's she does. not there yet. So they're putting a lot of pressure on her. Like there's a line between hyping up a signing and then starting to put the pressure on somebody. And they're doing this so many times now that it's starting to put pressure on her. So I don't know if. They just do this and then we wait a few months and she comes back or if she's going to pop up pretty soon here because they continue to talk about her and show her and it feels like sooner than later, she is going to be on Raw, SmackDown or NXT, whatever it is, and get into a story. And I just worry that you hype her up too much. People are going to turn on her. People Mm -hmm. aren't going to like her. Yada, yada, yada. We've seen it before. So it's just we'll see. It's just something I'm keeping an eye
0: on. Yeah, I'm fine with her showing up, but if like if the plan is not to debut her, let's just make believe for three months or something like that, then there needs to be a period of time where she's then not on TV. And people can forget about her that way, when she makes her debut, it's a big deal. Otherwise, if you're talking about her on TV every single week, and then she shows up two months from now, but you've seen her eight straight weeks on TV, then it's just like, Oh, okay, like it's different obviously than like doing vignettes when you're building a character. You're not really building her character, but I do kind of feel, Chris, that might be what happens. Like remember when Bianca Belair came up? They did that exceptional vignette. One of the greatest vignettes probably ever created. I say vignette, I mean video package. One of the greatest video packages ever created for a debuting superstar. The multicolored with the rap background music, whatever that was um, for um, Bianca. It was during the pandemic. It was awesome. So they did mm-hmm. kind of do that, but I think she actually made a couple appearances before they started doing that. And clearly back in the day, WWE would run vignettes and video packages for debuting talent to build their characters and introduce you to them. But we now all know after the last you know two weeks plus who Jade Cargill is, at this point, I don't really want to see her consistently no. at shows unless she's going to either start a storyline or be involved in something very soon that requires her to be there. I wish, in this case, what they had done is rather than replay her arriving at the arena, shown during the show her walking into Triple H's office or coming out of his office, shaking his hand, that way we understood the purpose for her being there. And then Michael Cole could say, yeah, we heard that Jane had a big meeting with Triple H about her future and blah, blah, blah. So, like, there, there was a tie to it as opposed of, as opposed to... Here she is walking into the arena. That's it. Like it, it was like half of an idea, is what I felt.
1: To 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 something you said, we don't know anything about her as a character. All we know is that she looks amazing and she's one of the biggest signings ever and she looks like a superhero or or whatever. Like that's it. We literally have no character from her. And she has a very inspiring life story. So like she does. I'm wondering if we'll get we'll get that at some point. Um they're just they're just presenting her in and in just in a different way. And there's not much there's nothing really we can go off of here. They wanted her to make a statement and you just say, wow, when you saw her, because this was technically her first TV appearance. Yes. Right. Yep. So like you're, you're supposed to be like, whoa, look at that. And they
0: accomplished it. Yeah. That happened. Yeah.
1: Yes. They accomplished.
0: it. Great. right. That's fair. All right. Let's move to LWO against Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits on SmackDown. Rey Mysterio fought Lashley in a non-title match. Everyone was ringside. Lashley got most of the offense early. Ray turned the tide with a seated senton and tornado DDT counter. Lashley caught Mysterio's legs on a 619, knocked him off the ropes. He attacked Santos Escobar late in the match, but got run into the post by Ray. Then Mysterio hit a 619 to the gut and another to the head, only for distractions and chaos to ensue at ringside. LWO got completely flattened at ringside by the Street Profits, so Ray took the profits out, only for Lashley to, of course, catch him with a spear back inside for the win. LWO, all of them, sold their asses off for the heels at the end. Later backstage, Ray and Santos commiserated with Zelina Vega noting the other guys were injured, ruled out for Fastlane, so it may be three on two, except Mysterio had an idea and went to make a call. So certainly the right booking for the new group to get over as heels. I initially questioned why they booked it this way with Fastlane coming up 24 hours later, and we talked about this thing, Ultimate Preview, it made sense to have this kind of result on the premium live event where the heels get over in a major way. My mindset was that it should still be the heels winning on the bigger show. I was also frustrated that Lashley beat the United States champion, but a title match wasn't even mentioned by commentary after the fact. That should be an obvious, immediate no-brainer.
1: Yep, Uh, that was my first thought was, is the, like, this is the US champion here and it's not really relevant or, or, or going on, continues to be, strange handling of the belt uh i did think this might change the result on uh on uh saturday right after lashley won so
0: during the pre-show escobar asked mysterio if he is coming through ray said he sent a text that was read but he hasn't received a response who the hell is the balls to get a text from ray mysterio and not reply like what kind of person is that the Prophets got rid of their really stupid turquoise gear. They wore black and gold like Lashley. One weird note, I don't know, Chris, if you agree, Angelo Dawkins almost looked like he was part of a dance troupe or something with his like tiny little tank top that he was wearing. It was so weird. <laughs> he was also wearing gloves for some reason. Like, what is Dawkins doing? Just wear the normal gear. You look good. Close to perfection. Uh, no one joined the faces at the bell. So it was three on two as a handicap match. No one out pizzas the hut. Montez Ford took out Escobar ringside, so Zelina hit him with a Huracarana. Eight minutes into the match, Carlito returned to WWE without his signature entrance, not even the opening part of it. That reduced the impact for me when he returned. Escobar took out Lashley with a tope suicida, and Carlito hit Ford with a backstabber off of a bit of a distraction. For the win, no one out pizzas the Hut. As expected, this was a SmackDown match on the PLE. Formulaic with Ray having no one to tag. Carlito showing up made it worth putting on the show, but it felt like so much more could have been accomplished if a quality match preceded his return. Instead, it was just an entire promotional deal because no one out pizzas the Hut. Great to see Carlito four months after he was actually signed with WWE. They actually put him on the show, but it didn't improve what was largely a mediocre match and it became very apparent we've talked about it with Ray Mysterio and Cinnamon Toast Crunch previously but they wanted to do something special with Ray for a promotional situation because no one out pizza's the hut and that's how they used Carlito i went 2.75 stars c plus also large pan pizza extra cheese
1: yeah i just uh, i question i had coming out of this match was like does anybody out pizza the hut I don't know. I don't think so. It wasn't made clear. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, you know, this the match was whatever. I, my biggest thing is I don't understand the point of this. Like I, I still don't get like what like just everything about Lashley and the profits is weird. And then LWO is now just there and despite the US titles doing nothing, just it's kind of a mismatch of stuff. There was no real story to this, it just happened. So that also impacts the Carlito return. Theoretically, it's like you want Carlito to come and save the LWO from a beatdown from some group they've been feuding with for mm-hmm. a long time. And it's just like, no, we're just throwing a match together and Carlito's in it now. It's just like, all right, that's kind of a cheap way to to do it. Ray is obviously the big sponsorship guy that they like to do same with LA night, which was very cool. Him coming in via the slim Jim car earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that pizza looked really, really good. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it made me, it. Did. And it made me want to order some. I, I will tell you and,
0: when I found out, sorry, when I found out before the show, that pizza was sponsoring and I'm not someone like I'm, I didn't go get a Mountain Dew uh, code black or whatever the hell pitch black, whatever that was called. I'm not, I yeah. don't do that, but, and I don't know if you were going to this point. I'm sorry if I interrupted you. Of yeah. the fast food pizzas, which I do consider Pizza Hut, Domino's, and Papa John's, I guess Little Caesars as well, You know, the fast food pizzas, mm-hmm. historically, for me, Pizza Hut has been my favorite. I haven't had it in years. And when I saw that big dinner box or whatever come across the table, I was like, shit, man, I should have got some Pizza Hut tonight. They sold I me. did
1: get the New York... I did get the New York style that they were advertising during the Inception tournament. Um, pretty good. I'm a big fan of Pizza Hut. My wife hates it; makes her puke. What I is your order? Why. She just, I just get pepperoni pizza, extra pepperoni. But I like, like it. a hand toss, You get the I'm pan. You
0: get a thin crust. Like what do you get? Uh,
1: the, the pan, or I di- again. I did like that new that New York style that they had. I don't know if they still have it uh, or not.
0: I don't. Uh, pizza Hut just opened up by us back in the spring. So funny. I tried that out. They just opened for years this area I've lived there have been no pizza huts anywhere near me not even like definitely not for delivery and I would never order delivery these days anyway because of all the upcharges. but even for pickup it would have taken me like 20 minutes to pick a pizza Hut. so obviously I would never do that I'd get real pizza from a really good Italian restaurant near me but they just recently opened a pizza hut like six minutes from my house and I'm very tempted my order is a large pan pizza with extra cheese you got to get the breadsticks, they're, they're crack as far as I'm concerned.
1: And look, uh, um, look, the advertisement great. clearly worked because we're talking about it. Here. We but are between you had we this, yeah, you had Cinematos Crunch, yeah, you had Cinematos Crunch at WrestleMania, you had Mike's Hard Lemonade that the WrestleMania before, like, these are sponsorships of like things that we consume. So, I think that's mm. a net positive, and we're not, we're not getting all full sponsors that are you know, strident, uh, acne <laughs> wipes and JVC kaboom boxes from, from back in the Is day.
0: Strident even around oh, still? Collect- I don't even know if that comes to, I around. don't know. Co- collect call <laughs> phone numbers or whatever. Yeah.
1: Last thing I want to say on that, um, stacker three Xavier Woods, Xavier Woods coming in with the jacket. That was a very nice jacket. Oh, that jacket was sick. Was- yeah, it was.
0: It really, really was. Um, so, but here's my question real quick and we'll get off the pizza. I know it's late. Uh, is Pizza Hut your favorite of those fast food chains?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, it's not the one I get the most, but
0: it is the one I enjoy the most. So I almost never eat any of that pizza. But if I do, the one I would get most frequently is Domino's Thin crust, just because I feel like it's better for you, even though it's probably not. But Pizza Hut Pan is my favorite. The only thing I can tell you for sure is uh, as far as Papa John's is concerned. This is- Yeah, that shit sucks. So I'm not a Papa John's fan at all. All right. uh, Before we get to the grades for WWE Fastlane, we did have another special guest. Pat McAfee entered before the co-main event for a fan service segment. You and I had an idea that that might happen. We didn't talk about it on the Ultimate Preview, but we did mention it previously. Uh, He was there to do commentary for the John Cena match, but he pumped up his home crowd. He played for the Colts, even though I think he's from West Virginia. Uh, and got them chanting about Indianapolis, hosting a WrestleMania. Chris, there have been a lot of big time events held in Indianapolis. WrestleMania is not going to be one of them again. The chances of that happening? 0.0. It would be the oddest location for WrestleMania since WrestleMania 11 in Hartford. And before that, WrestleMania eight in Indianapolis. It is simply not a tourist destination. Also, let me say this. The crowd largely sucked. Yes, they did get hot for Jay and Cody. Yes, LA Knight. And in the main event, they were decent. Uh, but McAfee, when he came out, he called them out at the start on purpose. It was necessary. It was easily, for me, the worst PLE crowd in at least the last calendar year. Uh, I,
1: I didn't notice the crowd Um In the sense that I thought they were average, and also maybe because I was also watching football, hard Mm. to tell. Um, Have you ever have you been to Indianapolis for a big game? There's there's Final Fours, there's there's a lot of big games that go through there. Have you ever been to Indianapolis for one of them?
0: I have never been there. I have heard of numerous people who did go there and loved it. It is
1: the perfect big event city Mm -hmm. because. Everything is really walkable. All the hotels and bars in the stadium are right
0: together. And they're like connected too, right? And Cause of the weather.
1: Yeah, there are, it's kind of a weird, there's like one, it's not simple, but they are a lot of them connected. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it takes over the city. Like it's the biggest thing. Right. Whenever there's a big event to that town, I, I've been to many of final fours and conventions and stuff like there. uh, always, always really fun there. Um, you're right though that considering the cities that are now bidding for wrestlemania and when like a london is in play it's gonna make it very difficult for indianapolis to get one of those unless it puts in some like ridiculous offer and that's what this was which is the same thing we said about the money in the bank london speech this whole thing was about pat mcafee and wwe trying to convince indianapolis the city to drop the bag every WWE, every city yes Yes. to every city really i I, basically they're gonna be like hey you want a wrestlemania Uh, uh, all right well then uh, exactly put put some pressure on the people to up those bids that's what the purpose of this is um i I, it's very unlikely to go to indianapolis i think it should go to indianapolis because that's a really nice stadium they got there and again it's a great city for this kind of stuff. They had the Alabama Georgia Championship game there. That didn't work cuz it was January, but by the time you get to April, weather's weather is good there. Now, I will say there there's been talk for a number of years about Minneapolis mm-hmm. hosting a WrestleMania. I would much prefer Indianapolis to Minneapolis uh for the reasons that I said. Yeah, say. I agree with uh, that. Just, so just as, as you know, as, a, as another city that has been floated out there again, this was largely about putting pressure on city officials to up their bids for WrestleMania's and everything else, because that is the business WWE is yeah. in.
0: now. I just, I just really don't think those are likely it's WWE for these big shows likes to stay either on the coast or near the coast. So like, I could see Atlanta, Mercedes Benz Dal- uh, stadium or whatever the hell that's called now. Obviously Dallas. Yes. It's such a, it's such a huge, um, uh, what's it called? Like a Metroplex and also it's, the it, travel destination. City. Yes. The, the yeah. whole goal is, you know, WrestleMania is an international event, even when it's held in the United States, which it always is. So the travel right. access needs to be relatively easy for people from England, Japan, from wherever they're flying into. So, California. And then yeah, like Nevada, like Las Vegas, you can get into, uh, you can get into Texas, New or- Florida, New, New Orleans, Orleans. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, Georgia, maybe Atlanta, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, like that's generally where it's going to be. You're not, it, it, I guess, I don't think they've ever done one or they haven't at least in a very, very long time, but like Phoenix or Seattle or Indianapolis, it's been obviously since WrestleMania eight or seven, whichever one. Um, It takes a lot to go to cities like that. It's a lot more difficult. And WWE has its spots where it likes to run. So, you know, no offense meant to anyone in Indianapolis, but it's just very unlikely. So I just wanted to say that on the show. Chris, also, uh, go ahead. Well, and also, like, to your point, they are starting to double up on
1: cities again. They've gone back to Orlando in a short amount of time. They've gone back to New Orleans in a short amount of time. Dallas in a short amount of time. So like it's clear what cities are making the cut for that. Right. In which are not. Now they just did SummerSlam in Detroit. So like a SummerSlam in Indianapolis feels like a very big possibility. Oh yes, for you know, sure. I, SummerSlam. I think, yeah. I think I I think that's more maybe the kind of thing that you could expect there.
0: SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank. Like they can get a big show, just not WrestleMania. That's pretty much what I'm trying to say. Uh, real quick, one more thing before we get to grades. McAfee had to hightail it there. I mean, he took a private jet, so I'm not sure how difficult it was to get there in like five hours, but he got there from Dallas after being on college game day at the Red River Rivalry. I think our listeners might be curious to hear our takes on this, but while we love Pat on WWE commentary, I got to tell you for me personally, I think he is awful on game day, like a terrible fit for what that show is and what it's supposed to be about as someone who is just as involved in college football as I am. What is your take?
1: This is a fascinating thing to bring up because this is the conversation that all of my college football group chats are having Uh, is is Pat McAfee in game day. Him being back on the call for that uh, LA Knight-John Cena tag team match was a nice refresher of like, yeah, this guy was really good at this. Mm -hmm. Like, Even my brother texted me like, I really like Pat McAfee as a commentator. So much better. Remember, that was the thing that that kind of, obviously he had his... Is his show sure but the WWE commentary work that he did really elevated him into I think some more types of stuff Uh, and I as for as for Pat McAfee and college game day I like it overall because I think he's brought an energy to that set that they have not had in a long time the same way. He elevated Michael Cole's career again and rejuvenated him. I think he's doing the same thing for Kirk Herbstreit, who seems to be having a ball. Mm-hmm. The the it he clearly is the replacement for Lee Corso, but Lee Corso is still hanging around. Right. So there's kind of that weird. There's kind of that weird in between. So, but I also understand that he can be grading on people that he can be over the top, that he kind of never turns it off. You know, it, it is a lot.
0: He's more concerned I about getting himself over than getting the sport or the show. He, over. He is doing a lot of
1: pro wrestling stuff on game day, such as the Washington state drama, cutting little promos, not backing down from things. And it's pissing people off. Like I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are getting very, very annoyed at that. So like, I totally see it and in, in, in feel it and understand it. I just think on the whole, he has still very much been a net positive for me. I am okay. watching that show more now than I have in recent years, because I think people forget how boring that show had gotten in recent years well it i think a bigger to be refreshed a little bit
0: I, I think a bigger problem is the fact that it's like an hour longer than it should be and i mean there's it has the it has the monday night raw problem as soon as it went to three hours oh. it lost what
1: it used to be did it go to three it or did it, to it go to four
0: hours.
1: no it's three it's, it's three, right three now it yeah. used to be two Ugh, then they did they added an extra hour that was like only on ESPN U for a minute and then they just made the whole thing 3 hours on yeah, ESPN. And right. once you did that, it was no longer a fans show, it was a general entertainment show yep. because it's 3 freaking hours long. It's yep. the same thing that. It used to
0: be a semi hardcore college football show. I mean, it was still spoke to a yeah. general audience, but it was more in depth than it is now. It's a very general glossing over of the sport previewing you, getting you into the day. But Chris, I got to tell you this right now. I know you and I are having fun having this conversation. We probably have a lot of listeners that are like, well, these guys shut up about college football. We want to hear the grades for WWE Fastlane. So thank you all for indulging us. Uh, this has been a long show. We're going to get you out of here with our final grades for WWE Fastlane. Before we give those, Chris, we need to go over our pre-show expectation grades. You are at a B. I was at a B plus, giving WWE the benefit of the doubt because every time we give them a B pre-show grade, it ends up being a B plus or better. The getting overheads on Twitter, again, we posted our poll at getting overcast before the show. 28% said A, a very nice 69% said B, 1% C, 2% D to F, which coming in is obviously absurd. That averaged out to an 87.6, which is a B plus, Really just splitting the difference, though, between you and me in terms of our pre-show expectation grades. So with all of that said, Chris, as always on this show, when we give our grades, you get the opportunity to go first. So what is your grade for WWE Fastlane? B+.
1: After the first match, the tag team title match, I thought, woof, we may be in, 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 in store for another surprising WWE PLE that's just a heck of a lot of fun and ends up being an A-minus type of show but after that nothing quite reached the same level to me because again that was my match of the night mm-hmm. two or three of the two at least two of the matches were really nothing uh, the the, the Cena LA night match which I enjoyed but it meant nothing and then the the um, Bobby Lashley LWO stuff was right. just pointless so ultimately I get down to a B plus it was solid it wasn't it didn't it didn't felt like it wasn't worth my time, but a good chunk of it just kind of didn't mean anything.
0: What is your numerical grade for that? I'm just curious.
1: Um, 87 low B plus.
0: Okay. Uh, so I'm right there with you, but this is a rarity. I don't think this has ever happened on the show before. We've done a ton of these instant analysis. Uh, I'm flipping with you like in the exact opposite direction. So you were B expectation B plus final. I was B plus expectation. B final. I did not think that this hit as well as it could have, um, largely because I think the LWO match with Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits, even though that wasn't really that consequential, it was just really subpar and really a TV match. The women's match, while I gave it an A minus, no question, I came in with my B plus expectation grade, expecting that to be a flat A, no doubter, and it didn't get there because a lot of the mistakes Uh, Late in the match, I was never a fan going in, uh, as we talked about, of the LA Knight John Cena match. Not because I thought it would be bad. I just didn't care that much about it. It seemed like a total no brainer what was going to happen. And the match itself, the quality of it, didn't allow me to exceed my expectation of what it was going to be. And the title change in the Tag Team Championship match, that was a huge surprise, no question. Um, But the match was what I expected it to be, and the main event was what I expected it to be. So, You know, I think I may have said, I don't remember on the uh, pre-show. I gave it an 87. Uh, I'm at an 86. I'm literally one point lower, uh, but I thought it was a B show. Like we went into payback, right? And we've gone into other WWE premium live events that would be considered quote unquote B shows saying, man, you know, there hasn't been much build and the matches that are listed aren't necessarily that exciting or We don't think anything crazy is going to happen, and we've come out of some of those being wowed, where we gave it a B coming in, and we were like, wow, that's a high B plus, A minus, maybe even borderline A show. Like We've been totally shocked. This is the first time in a long time where we've come out of a B show, quote unquote, and I've said, you know what? That was a B show. That's how I felt when it ended. I was like, you know what? That was not even as good as Payback, and it was not even as good as many of those other in-between shows that we've gotten here and there that we've... Um, I don't want to say been disrespectful, but underrated going in and then exceeded our expectations coming out. This directly basically hit what my expectation was, but it was slightly less good than I thought it would be. Uh, Our getting overheads, the listeners. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say probably worst show of the year. Yeah, worst show of the year. But a high bar. Yeah. I would say, again, worst show in a calendar year. Going back, think about yes. the War Games absolutely. last year, right? So November to October, which is 12 months, this was the worst WWE Premium Live event. That's not saying it was bad. It's just the worst yeah. out of all of them. Correct. Yeah. So uh, the getting overheads are right in between us, which is why I was curious what your numerical grade was. 31% A, 55% B, 10% C, 4% D or F, which again, the D or F is absolutely ridiculous. But I got to tell you, that averages out to an 86.4. So <laughs> 0.1 away from rounding up into a B+, but literally directly between what you and I thought about the show. So pretty much we're all on the same page. A good, not great premium live event. WWE coming up um, in November. It kicks off the month with Crown Jewel, which recently those Blood Money in the Sand shows have been... Uh, spectacular in terms of the build and in terms of the match quality and in terms of the star power on them. They have not been treated like those bonus shows that we got for so long. Uh, They're treated like regular premium live events, which is good. So that's coming up at the beginning of the month. And then at the end of the month in November, we have Survivor Series. We do not know whether that will be war games, but Survivor Series, end of November, no premium live event. In December, they will do the special SmackDown at Madison Square Garden to end the year. So between end of November and then January, the only thing we're going to have is the Royal Rumble. So two left, both in November, which for you and I is pretty much the busiest month of the entire year. So I'm sure we're quite psyched for that. Um, And then we get a little bit of a break in terms of the premium live events, uh, like I said, before January. But look, here was the uh, instant analysis for WWE Fastlane. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know we went off on a couple different tangents here, uh, but there wasn't really that much show to talk about. It was only five matches, so we wanted to give you as much additional content here on this show as we possibly could. As always, I appreciate Vintage Chris Vanini for joining yours truly, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, on this show. On the way out, let me hit you up with a couple reminders. First, about our show schedule. Already in the archive, I don't want you guys to miss this, episode 500, we sat down, Two on one with the American dragon, Brian Danielson. We had an anniversary show. We got the biggest guest that we possibly could. We were thrilled to bring that to you for episode 500. Episode 504, just a couple days later, none other than the megastar L.A. Knight, Silver King Vintage. Again, two on one speaking with L.A. Both of those interviews, 30 minutes. You do not want to miss them. Coming up this week on Tuesday, we will have our next WWE episode. There's a little bit extra that we haven't spoken about from SmackDown, all of the fallout from WWE Fastlane on Raw and our second look at Fastlane all coming this Tuesday on the WWE show. And then on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not sure which, we will have your NXT and AEW episode. Both NXT and this week Dynamite will be airing on Tuesday head to head. And the Silver King for the first time since the start of the pandemic will be visiting the WWE Performance Center. I will be there live in person at NXT. John Cena, Cody Rhodes, Paul Heyman, Asuka, Becky Lynch, presumably Dominic Mysterio, and seemingly The Undertaker. You bet your ass the Silver King is going to be there. My first wrestling show since the beginning of the pandemic. First time I've seen the Performance Center since it stopped being just the Performance Center, and now airs live television from it. Very excited to go. Because of that, number one, I'll be traveling. Number two, both shows are happening Tuesday, so I have no idea when I'm going to be able to actually re-watch NXT on TV and then watch Dynamite to be able to catch it all up and give you the podcast. Maybe Vintage will be able to join me and ease some of that burden. No pressure on him. But I appreciate, once again, Vintage, for joining the show. I thank all of you for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Some quick reminders on the way out. First, this show... is all about Defy. Leave the five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Write a five-star review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for all the reasons mentioned previously. And don't forget... I happen to love the number... Bye. I hope you do as well for $5 a month, 54 for the entire year. You can become an official getting overhead and support the show. Simply visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over and sign up. That is it for tonight. It is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.